If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the New Testament book of Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to pick up in verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. And, um, of course, we finished up our series on the Ten Commandments. Finally, it only took us, what, six months. And, um, and so we're going to be moving on today into the book of Ephesians. And if you, if you come for a while, you know that I'm, I'm kind of an oddball in a lot of ways, but one of the things that I, I'm kind of odd about is when there are, uh, I guess you'd say, traditional holidays on the calendar, Father's Day, Mother's Day, Fourth uh, of July, things like that, sometimes I'll preach a, a sermon that's geared just towards uh, the, the group of people that are in, uh, in focus there. Many times I will not, but today I'm going to, and today I want to preach a sermon to men. Now, this, uh, the, the Word of God, of course, is applicable to, to every person, whether it's man or woman, uh, young or old. The, the Word of God is applicable to, to everybody. But uh, I want to speak directly today to the, the men who are here, the ones who will be listening to this later on uh, at a later date as it's, uh, as it's recorded. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. And I want to talk about being strong and courageous. Being strong and courageous. Now that phrase, be strong and courageous, actually shows up a number of times in the Bible. Usually when we think of it, does anybody associate that with a a particular person? Many times we think of Joshua. Because God tells Joshua over and over and over again as he's beginning to take over, uh, the the, he's he's taking on the mantle of leadership for Moses because Moses has passed away. And so he is uh, beginning to lead the children of Israel, going to be leading them in the conquest of the promised land. And so God tells Joshua over and over again, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And no doubt, uh, he would need that charge, wouldn't he? He would need to be strong and courageous. And I can't even imagine that taking, taking on that responsibility. I mean, you're following in the footsteps of Moses. Nobody would want to do that. You're, you're leading a bunch of people who are rebellious and hard-headed, and nobody wants to do that. But here he is taking on that role. Now you say, well, Pastor... This turned in for me because I'm not leading the people of Israel. I'm not taking over after uh, an incredible leader. And while our circumstances are different, we too need to heed the call to be strong and courageous in this day and hour. Because while our circumstances are different, we live in a culture that is rapidly deteriorating. People have unhitched themselves from, from, from God and therefore they don't have a consistent, coherent worldview I mean, many, many people are in such rebellion against God, it affects their, the very core of their being. And the only thing that unites many of these groups is their hatred of and the rebellion against God. And we in, in, in America, even though, well, I mean, think about it. When you think of culture's perception of a, of a Christian man, what do people think? I mean, there are societal pressures that say that, that men, especially Christian men, we're the bad guys, that we are unneeded, that we are the appendix to society, to the family. We're, we're, we're not only unneeded, we may even be dangerous. And the message is that we're the bad guys and that we need to just sit down and be quiet. We need to not take a stand. We need to not be visible. We need to not be out there standing for God. But I want to tell you that we need some courageous men in this country. Not courageous men in the sense that they are rude and coarse and, and they have machismo just dripping off of them and they have swagger and they're, they're, they're mean and abusive. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not courageous. That's being a jerk. But what I'm talking about is not taking advantage of other people. I'm talking about people who will live up to the standard that God has called us to in the Scriptures. 
And it takes courage and it takes strength to do that in this culture, whether you're a man or a woman, it takes courage. So if you would and you're able, if you would stand to uh, honor God's word, we're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 22 and read to the end of the chapter and then jump over to chapter 6 and just read one verse. Paul says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband's. Jump down to chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, as we start out in, in our text today, I want to make something very clear right at the start, and that is that the Bible is not a set of rules and regulations, a list of do's and don'ts. Many times we, we think of it that way, society thinks of it that way, and sometimes we kind of wish it was. And what I mean by that is sometimes we, we're facing a situation, we say, okay, well, I'm faced with, uh, with situation X, I'm going to turn to my table of contents, and it says, situation X, turn to page 83. And then you turn to page 83 and there's a, a, a rule, do this, don't do that. And that's what we wish that it was sometimes, but the Bible is not just a list of, of do's and don'ts and, and rules. So understand when, when Paul is telling us this, he is not just giving us this list of these are things that you need to do, but this is actually the living out of a spirit-filled life. This is faith in action, if you will. Now, we didn't read it, but in verse 18 of, this, of chapter 5, just a couple of verses before where we picked up, Paul tells the Ephesians, and he tells us to be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, not, not, uh, not drunk with wine, is what he says. And sometimes we, we read that and we think, okay, filled with the Spirit, that must be some ecstatic uh, experience that we have inside church. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't go outside these four walls, just something that happens uh, in the church service. But that's not the case. Being filled with the Spirit is an ongoing thing. A more literal translation of that would be, be being filled. It's, it's supposed to be a continual action. And, and to picture this, think of a, think of a glass of, we'll just say, of, of water. And that glass is full. And our lives are kind of like that. Our, our lives are full of something. Many times it's full of us. It's full of me, my wants, my desires, my needs. But as we begin to pour What's in the contents of that cup out, there's room for something else to take that space. And when we pour ourselves out, when we empty ourselves, there's room for God to fill our lives. And the more that we turn ourselves over to God, the more we can be filled with the Spirit. And that's, that's really the picture here. 
And so when Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, or be being filled with the Spirit, he's saying that your faith, this filling of the Spirit, is going to come out in the way that you live. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't just hit us in the fields on, on Sunday morning, but rather being filled with the Spirit changes the way that we live Monday through Saturday as well, not just the hour that we're at church. Okay, so, so understand that what he's saying is, is part of being filled with the Spirit and living a Spirit-filled life. Now, there are some things in this text that Paul gives us that I've grouped under three headings. They all start with the letter L, just to help me uh, remember things. The letter L. The first area in which we need to be strong and courageous is in leading the family. We need to be strong and courageous in leading the family. Look at verse 23 again. Verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Now, husbands, dads, men, we are given the responsibility as Christians in Scripture to lead the family. Now, that is not a popular thing to say in today's time, is it? It's not popular to say with men or women. Because to men, men don't want to hear it because, frankly, we don't want more responsibility, do we? We don't want somebody to say, you have a, you have a responsibility before God to exercise discipline, to, to lead the family, to make some decisions. Um, we, we just don't want to hear it. And so many times people reject this because, well, it's, it's countercultural. But listen, there are lots of things the Bible says that are countercultural, but, but we accept them in other areas. For instance, the Bible tells us that, that uh, we should live with integrity. The Bible calls us to live in purity. The Bible calls us to, to, uh, to, to exercise modesty. Those things are all countercultural. And we, even though they're not practiced today, we accept those as being a command from God. But yet when we get to this command from God, we say, well, now, now, that's, just, that's something different. Now listen, just because the culture has changed does not mean that God's word has changed. Second, this is, an, uh, this is well, frankly, like I said, it's, it's, it's not a popular message with men because nobody wants extra responsibility. We want to just go along and have it as easy as we can. And that's, that's natural, isn't it? it we, we don't want the extra weight. But listen, men, we are called to be the spiritual leader in our home. When it comes to, to going to church, it shouldn't be the wife who's the one that's taking the family to church. It shouldn't be the, the wife who's always reading the Bible with the kids. It shouldn't be the wife who's, who's leading the family spiritually, who makes every decision in the home and so forth. But on the other hand, sometimes maybe, maybe a, a man would read the first part of that, verse 22, and say, Wives, submit to your husbands. Amen, brother. Come on, preach it. That's what we want, right? That's what we want to hear. But this is not a license to be cruel or mean or to, load, or to lord this authority over the family. It's not an excuse for abuse. Because what does verse 23 say? Verse 23 says that we are head just as Christ is head of the church. He's the model that we're to follow. But this is not a popular message with many ladies as well because people read this, they hear this, and here's what they hear. Here's what they see. It doesn't matter what's on the page. Here's what they see and hear. They see and hear God giving license to a man being a tyrant in the home. That's not what the Bible says. That's what they hear. That's what they see. But again, that's not what the text says. Look at verse 22. Women 
are not to submit to every man, but only to their own husband. Likewise, verse 23, men are not the head of every woman, just, just their own wife in, in the home. This is not misogynistic, it's not chauvinistic, it's simply an ordering of the family in society. And you say, Pastor, I still don't like it. Well, if that's you, take solace in this. The Bible calls the wives to submit, it calls the men to die. Does that make you feel better? Because that's literally what, what is said. He says to love your wives as Christ loved the church. So men's, dads, husbands, we need to ask ourselves whether or not we're leading in the home. Are you shepherding your family? Does your family see you darken the door of a church on a regular basis? Do they see you involved in the work of ministry in the church? Or do, do they see you just say, well, that's, that's for somebody else. I'm too busy. Now we can keep going, but we have a lot of verses to look at. The second thing that we need to do, the, the second area that we need to be strong and courageous is in our love. In our love. Now, some of you probably just went, whoop, you lost me there. I ain't coming for a Hallmark card. That's not what I'm here for. But listen, even us old grouchy, grumpy, crotchety, cantankerous, ill-tempered, uh, sticks in the mud, such as myself, we're supposed to love those around us especially people in our families. In particular, right after God, that should be the next person, should be your wife if you're married. That should be, that should be number two. Now, notice how this love looks, because he doesn't just say, love your wives, and, and we say, okay, well, I'll just, you know, all my feelings and stuff. No, that's not what he says. He says, this is how it looks. First, verse 25, it's sacrificial love. Therefore, lay, uh, sorry, that was verse uh, 25 of chapter 4. Verse 25 of chapter 5 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. He gave himself up for her. It was voluntary. He gave himself. It wasn't, it, it wasn't uh, compulsory. Nobody made him do it. He gave himself of his own accord. And he even gave himself to the point of sacrificing his very life on the cross. Men, God is calling us to be willing to lay down our lives, our very lives for our wife and kids. And I think many of us would say, yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat. I would take a bullet. I would stand between them and, and the bad guy. But listen, it's especially easy to say that when we know that's probably not ever going to happen. Right? Now, it seems a lot more likely in the, after the events of the last couple of months, but, but even, even with all that that's going on, we probably will not be given the, the choice of our life for the lives of our wives. But having said that, you, the question that needs to be asked is, if you're willing to lay down your life in a singular dramatic, heroic event, would you be willing to lay it down your life on a daily basis? You say, now, Pastor, I seems like some doublespeak there because you just got through saying that we're probably never going to have to lay it down our lives, especially do it over and over again. Well, this is not speaking out of both sides of my mouth. What I mean is many men would trade their lives for the lives of their families if presented with that, that choice. We would lay it down 
we would sacrifice ourselves for them. But how many of us would do that on a daily basis? We would put our wife's needs and wants and the needs and wants of our of our family before our own. That's laying down your life. That's putting them before yourself. Would you be willing to work extra hours so your wife doesn't have to? Would you be willing to do without so that she can pursue her dreams so she doesn't have to do without? Would you be willing to do that? That's laying down our life over and over. And it takes strength and it takes courage to do that just as much as it does, maybe even more so, than to take a bullet. Because it's doing it over and over and over. The second way this love looks is not only sacrificial, it's also sanctifying. Look at verse 26. Paul writes and says, So that he, being Christ, might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, obviously, Christ did a unique work on the cross. We can't, we can't replicate that. We can't add to that. We can't take away from it. It's, it's complete. It's finished. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He gave us a right standing before God when we put our faith in Him. And He is currently sanctifying us. He's making us more like we ought to be. He's still working on us, making us more like Jesus on a daily basis. That's the sanctifying work of God. And there's no way that we can recreate His death, burial, and resurrection. There's no way that we can sanctify our wives. We can't make them more like Jesus. But we can strive to help her in her walk with God. Now, I I don't mean help our wives like we have arrived and we're saying, okay, come on, just be like me. Come on, I'll I'll, I'll encourage you, I'll cheer you on. Come on, you're doing good. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, at the very least, we can keep from being a stumbling block to our wives. Now, I read a challenging question this week in relationship to this. I can't remember where I read it, but the question was this. Are our wives closer to God because they know us or in spite of knowing us? I want to to say that again. Are our wives, and ladies, I'll, I'll encourage you if you're married, ask this of yourself about your husbands. Are our spouses closer to God because they know us or in spite of knowing us? That's a challenging question, isn't it? So first we see it sacrificial, second we see it sanctifying, third we see that this love that we're to exercise uh, strength and courage in is sustaining. It's sustaining love. Look at verses 28 to 30. So husbands also ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. We are to sustain and nourish and cherish our wives. What does that mean? Well, look again at what it says. We should love our wives as we love our own bodies. You say, Pastor, I don't think I should because I don't like my body. It's broke down and it's in the wrong shape. That's That's not what this is talking about. But we care for our bodies, don't we? You say, not really. I bet you that before the day's out, you're probably going to eat, won't you? And if you look like me, you eat every day. A lot. Listen, we care for our bodies. We should care for our wives, too. 
And literally, he says that if you care for your, your wife, you're caring for yourself. How is that so? Because in, the Bible says, and, and Paul quotes Genesis here, when we get married, especially when that marriage is consummated, the two become one flesh. The two become one. And so when you care for her, you're caring for yourself. There's a mystical, spiritual union that goes on. And the wording that's used in, in the Bible to speak of this joining together has the idea of gluing. And so when you think about gluing two pieces of wood together, the wood that's being glued will break before that bond will, if it's glued well. And that's, that's the way it is in marriage. That, that bond that God brings about at the point of marriage, it cre- it's powerful. So I ask you, do you love your wife as you love yourself? You love your wife as you love yourself. So how, how's that local? It means that we, we should ensure to the best of our abilities she has the things that she needs. That we would care and protect her. How? Care for and protect her. How does that look? As Christ did for the church. Again, marriage is not the goal. It's not the reference point. Christ is the reference point. See, sometimes we look at our, our, our uh, parents' marriages, our grandparents' marriages, the marriage of a, of a friend, and we say, I want my marriage to look like that. No. We need to look at Jesus. He's the one that's not sinful. He's the one that did everything right, not people. So again, by way of application, do your kids, if you have kids in the home, do they see you loving your wife like Christ loved the church? Notice I didn't say, do the people at church see you like that? Because it's easy to fake a spirit-filled life an hour or two a week, isn't it? But I mean, do your kids see it? Does your wife see it? Do they see dad taking care of mom? Are, Are you abusive or harsh? Listen, if that's you, if you're abusive, you need to stop because it's sinful. That is wrong. That is, a, that is an image bearer of God. If you're a dad of a girl, I want to ask you this question. How do you feel if some boy or some man treated your little daughter like you treat your wife? We need to be bold and, and courageous. Number three, in leaving a legacy. Look at chapter 6 and verse 4. We won't spend much time here. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Men, dads, if you have children, you need to be diligent in raising our kids. You say, Pastor, I'm past that point. My kids are out of the house. I have grandkids. Congratulations. I've heard that's the best part. Somebody has said that grandkids are the reward for not killing your own. I don't know if that's true or not. I haven't got to that point. Amen. All right, there we go. I, I figured I'd get an amen from somebody. But listen, man, encourage your kids. They're going through the same stuff you went through. Encourage your grandkids. Encourage your nieces and nephew. Be that godly man. If you're, if you're a lady, be that godly woman in their lives. You can, you can, if you are, listen, if you are a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or something, sometimes those kids will listen to you, but they won't listen to their parents. 
you have an opportunity to speak into their lives, to speak that truth, to show them the way to God, and you might be that, that person they'll listen to when, when they won't listen to mom and dad. But parents, this is not an excuse for us to say, well, I'll just let grandma and grandpa do it. We have the responsibility to bring them up in the nurture, the admonition of the Lord. That's part, man, if, if you have grandkids, listen, you're living your legacy right now. You're getting to be part of the legacy that you have begun. Again, but if you have kids in the home, we need to be careful in how we raise them. We need to point them to God and not be overly harsh or cruel. We need to leave a legacy. I mean, I want to, I want to conclude with a simple call to be strong and courageous. Ladies, you might be in a situation where you have to do both roles. You might have to fill in for maybe that, that man that's, that's, that's not there anymore for whatever reason. Be strong and courageous. Be that way in, in your leading and in your loving and in your leaving of a legacy. Now, if you're like me, hold that up. Then you hold up a mirror and say, those two things don't look the same. Because we look at it and we say, I fall so short of these ideals. I fall so short of the standard that God has set. And listen, if you've blown it, you've not been a good man, you've not been a good dad or a good husband, today would be a great day to start making a change. Today would be a great day before you leave this, before you leave this church. Today would be a great day to have a fresh start because in a year, you'll wish that you started today. So I'll just do it. I'll, I'll start January 1. No. Start June 21. There's no time like the present. So what area is it that you need to focus on? And listen, this is not meant to be a beat-up sermon. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I'm not trying to beat anybody down. And ladies, this is not giving you a club to do the same to your significant other. Because I know it would be tempting when our spouses fall short to be like, honey, don't you remember what you're at church? You're not doing what you're supposed to do now. No, the, the word of God is a lot better sword than club. It's not to wield on our spouse. If you, if you have a man in your life and he's falling short and he's going to, guess what? You're falling short too. But instead of beating him up on things, you need to pray for him. Encourage him. Maybe look at yourself and say, am I contributing to any of this? You know, sweep your own front porch first. But this is not to beat anybody up. And men, as we face the last half of 2020, let's be strong and courageous. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, again, this is not to hammer at you. But I just encourage you to go to God in prayer. And maybe as I said those things, you looked at your own life and you said, Pastor, you've been reading my mail. You've been listening to my wife and I at home. 
These are areas I fall short in. Ask God to forgive you of those things and ask for his help to do better. And you might be here and and you're a lady and uh, I said those things and say, my husband doesn't do those things. Pray for him. Pray that God would move on his heart. Pray that he would be the man that God wants him to be. Pray that God would, would help you to be the lady that God wants you to be. Or maybe that you're single, single again. And this is for you. you. Even though I spoke directly to men, you need to be strong and courageous. We live in a bad, tough world. And it takes courage to stand for God. Now, I've not talked to any about salvation. This has been geared specifically to men, especially Christian men. But I want to tell you that I want to tell you that the Bible says that we're all sinners. I am, and so are you. That we fall short of God's standard. Maybe it's through lying, through stealing, through bearing false witness, to any number of things. The Bible says that you break any of those commandments, you're guilty. That sin has separated you from God, but the Bible also says that God has commended His own love toward us, and yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you will put your faith in Him, if you'll confess Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never done that, do that today. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help each of us as we Uh, live this life and we are uh, people that have feet of clay we look at the standard that you have called us to and we fall so short in so many different areas but God we thank you that like the old song says you're still working on me and that you're like that loving father you are the loving father who offers grace and forgiveness that you empower us to live the life that you want and God I pray that you would help each of us especially us men as we uh, try to be good fathers and husbands and just men in general help us to live the way that you want us to with courage and boldness and strength we ask these things in Jesus name Amen <laughs>